Okay, I'm ready for your topic now. Okay, hold on one second. I have been told to coordinate a dinner this evening and I'm canceling it instead. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. I thought this topic was going to be really boring, but the more I read into it, it's actually, it's just bizarre how it evolved and there's no reasoning for how it ended up in the place that it is now. Um, but I think everybody is synonymous with the secret service being the people in black suits that are just following the president around all the time. Um, so that I just assume that they've always done that, but that is not the case. So we're going to go all the way back to before the civil war. So we're going to talk about some of our earlier presidents and, um, how security wasn't even really a concern for them. So there was really little concern about the safety of presidents um, early on in the Republic, even though at times they did get threatening letters and threats on their lives uh, like presidents do now, but it wasn't to the same degree. It was a lot less frequent and they didn't take them seriously and they just moved on with their lives. They're like, no, I mean, you're not bothering me. Like you can say you're going to kill me. That's fine. I don't believe you. And they were fine with that. Do you also think it maybe was because they had muskets? <laughs> and like that was their that was their high power weapon at the time. Maybe, but they're also not very accurate. So you have to get pretty close up to But that's what I mean. Like Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you know how it works, like why would you be afraid of a, a musket? Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess you like, got one shot. And if you miss. Yeah. And if you're getting weirdly close to me, like that's a dead giveaway. Oh yeah, for sure. Like hundred percent, you're an assassin. <laughs> so Thomas Jefferson, for example, he walked by himself without any guards when he took his oath of office. And this is also a time when the presidency wasn't as established and wide sweeping as it is today. They didn't have nearly the same amount of influence or roles um, that they do today. And there actually wasn't even police in Washington itself until 1805. So for a while, Washington, D.C. didn't even have a police force at all. And then we also have... (laughs) I'm sorry, who patrolled it? Like, did people come from, like, Virginia? Or they just were like, hey, this is the one place you can run amok? Like, I mean, what happened? This is the United States of America, and we have what's called the Second Amendment. But everybody can carry guns around. So they run amok. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Correct. Just just like That's they kind do of today. Survival of the fittest out there. Okay. So what was it? 18 what was 1805? This? We get police. Okay, so 1805, 2021. What's the difference? It's really exactly the same. <laughs> Pandemics, war. It's all here. Guns everywhere. Guns. <laughs> Honestly, the only difference is that we have the Confederate flag and they didn't yet. Well, I feel like the big one is also like indoor plumbing. Oh, yeah, I'm 100% kidding, but that is a big one. Moving on 30 years into the future, on January 10th in 1835, President Jackson was leaving the Capitol and he was accosted by his attempted assassin. His name was Richard Lawrence. Um, 
He was an English-born house painter. And he fired two pistols at the president, and they both missed, which is exactly what you were just talking about with the muskets. Yep. That they're not very accurate. Why are we scared of these, right? Mm-hmm. And he was held for trial, and the jury said he was not guilty, reason of insanity. And they're like, okay, well, that's fine. Whatever. This is just like a blip on the road map. <laughs> they did nothing about it. Um, he went to jail. He was confined to mental hospitals and still no protection for the leader of our nation. So then in 1842, we have, it's weird. Painters seem to really want to kill presidents because another painter threw rocks at President John Tyler. And well, he was walking on the grounds of the White House at the time. And Congress decided, okay, well, now is the time. Maybe we should take some action here. But the funny thing is they were more concerned about the damage that was going to be caused to the White House, not the president. So they put a force of 15 men at the White House to protect the White House from being defaced, not the president. So let me just clarify. Go for it. So we... So he threw some tea in a harbor. Oh, we're going we way basically back. <laughs> gave 50 million middle fingers to the UK. We fought a war where many, many a people died for a document and our own land and to make our own taxes. We said, you know what we need? A figurehead for this whole country. And they're going to turn around and be like, eh, if he dies, he dies. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> they're more concerned about protecting But the like, building. you know that building. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we fast forward another couple of decades from 1842 when Congress decided, hey, we need to protect the White House from being defaced to Lincoln. So Lincoln is was already hated before he took the oath of office, which makes sense because it was a very inflammatory environment in the United States at that time um, with a lot of arguments back and forth on slavery and anti-slavery and expansion of states out West and whether or not they would be slave states or not. So there's just a lot going on already. Abraham Lincoln, we know, is anti-slavery. So everybody's already like, okay, we got to kill Abe Lincoln. And I actually read a whole book on his journey, just from him leaving his home to getting to Washington, D.C. And it was really a crazy journey. And everybody just, well, yeah, there was a lot of fans of Abe Lincoln, but everybody also just wanted to kill Abraham Lincoln. So they tried to keep him away from the South. But the problem is D.C. is in the South. So they yeah. had to go through the South eventually. You're not doing it right if you don't have haters, I guess. Correct, yeah. And he had mad haters. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually, before he was even inaugurated, there were there was a attack plotted against him while he was going through Baltimore on his way to Washington, D.C. And they actually had to create a whole new plan to get him out of the city. And they snuck him out of the city in the night and completely rerouted his train and put him 
on a different train so people wouldn't know. So yeah, Lincoln is already hated and he keeps getting more and more threatening letters while he's in office and throughout the war, but nobody really paid attention to them. Nobody took them seriously, which which makes sense at this point because historically nobody has really been able to perpetrate a lethal act of violence on a president. Yeah. Protection of President Lincoln throughout the war and his tenure in office was sporadic at best. And he didn't actually even want the protection because he felt like it was limiting to his uh, responsibilities as president to have all these extra people following him around and being in the room with him. So he didn't want them there. Interesting. So late in the war in November, 1864, they assigned a police detail to him at the White House to act as actual personal bodyguards, which is kind of when you start to think about the Secret Service, you kind of think of them in that way. This is not the Secret Service yet, but Lincoln tolerated them, but he really just, he urged them to be inconspicuous because he didn't, he didn't want them around. He didn't want protection. And then we hit the end of the war, of course, and we all know what happens next. On April 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth, a Confederate sympathizer kills President Lincoln at Fort Theater, which happens also because this is important for this story regarding protection. The president's bodyguard for the evening was patrolman John F. Parker of the Washington police who proved unfit for duty because he was supposed to remain on guard in the corridor right outside the box that Lincoln was sitting in during the entire performance, but instead he decided one, he wanted to go watch some of the play. So he left and two, he even exited the building completely to go have a drink at the saloon next door. So Abe Lincoln is just sitting there completely unprotected and he gets shot in the head and he dies the next day on April 15th. I think your next star should be what happened to Parker. Because I'm intrigued. I yeah, want to know should, what happened to him. Uh, hopefully. Or even like a follow-up blurb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see what happened to Mr. Parker here. Uh, I hope Mary Todd Lincoln took him to the cleaners. I hope so. Somebody should have because that is the one time that it was demonstrated that Lincoln really did need the protection and they actually had it there and he didn't refuse it. And the person walked away. Yeah. Cause it was at the end of the war. He probably thought, you know what? Now's the time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they lost and now they're, they're, they're big mad. Yeah. They're really big, mad, mad haters, mad haters looking sus. <laughs> <laughs> so they did a pretty extensive investigation of the assassination But guess what? Just like before, no action to provide better protection for presidents in the future. And they kind of decided that part of it was that it was a unique time in the country's history, which they're not wrong, and that Lincoln was especially hated during this crisis by a lot of people, which is understandable. That's what they chopped it up to, is that people just hated Lincoln, and this is not, this is a unique situation. But the the really ironic part about this is that Lincoln was actually killed the evening he signed the legislation to create the Secret Service. Interesting. But the Secret Service, like I mentioned at the beginning, 
they were not created as a any form of protection for anybody. So they officially formed on July 5th in 1865, and they were part of the Department of Treasury, which blew my mind. Like the bank? Yeah, the Treasury. Correct. And for what? So at the time, the country was overrun with counterfeited currency. So between one third to half of the money in the United States that was in circulation was counterfeit after the war. So the Secret Service was specifically created to investigate counterfeiting. Hmm. So that's what they do in 1865. And then in 1867, for some reason, their responsibilities got broadened and it started to include detecting persons perpetrating frauds against the government, which is pretty broad, right? Yeah. Um, but this resulted into investigations into the Ku Klux Klan, distillery, mm-hmm. smugglers, mail mm-hmm. robbers, and other types of fraud, and you know, a couple other responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So with this broad, I think this is probably why we get to where we get with this organization because their purpose was so broad. Right. At this time. But in 1881, we again come to the question, why are we not protecting the president? Because guess what? President James Garfield gets shot and dies with no personal protection. So this is two presidents now that have died. And they're like, well, it's only two guys. (laughs) They had a VP. Yeah, that's what the VP's for. And then we have President Grover Cleveland in 1894. Mrs. Cleveland, so here we go. We have the woman stepping up being the reasonable one. Shocker. (laughs) She persuaded the president to increase White House police staff to 27 people before it was only three. And remember, they were put there to protect the White House from being degraded. But now there's 27 of them, not three. Well, she probably was like, didn't you just see what happened to Garfield? You better protect you. Well, yeah, exactly. She's like, I'm not about to be a widow because of this White House. (laughs) Yeah, she was like, Grover, I swear to God, if you don't (laughs) get protected. I'll be the one killing you. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be not I'll do it myself. So then during the Spanish-American War, the Secret Service stationed a detail at the White House, and they were providing continuous protection for President McKinley. So here we're actually starting to see some movement. About time. But then they relaxed (laughs) these measures after the war. But they still remained, Secret Service guards still remained at the White House part of the time. So now we're kind of seeing a little bit of the duty of the Secret Service to provide part-time protection to the president on an as-needed basis. But just to note during this story, there are two separate forces in play here. One is the White House police force. They don't travel with the president. They're strictly at the White House. And then Secret Service, who are more of the bodyguard, they'll go on vacation with the president. They travel with the president. They follow him around at the White House. So that's just a distinction, important distinction here before we go much further. So just, just to recap why it's kind of starting to get really important for leadership to have protection between 1894 and 1900. So a span of six years, 
we have several leaders of countries getting murdered. So the president of France, the premier of Spain, the empress of Austria, and the king of Italy, all within six years, are murdered by like, anarchists. For, I was going to say for political reasons. Yeah. The Secret Service thought that now that there's a lot of police action being taken against these anarchists in Europe, they're going to flee and come to the U.S. now. So guess what? These damn foreigners are our problem. This is this is a, a dink. And the only reason I put it like that is one, because hello, we're still like that today. And two, that's actually a big part of why here in a minute, I'm going to tell you why the president had full-time protection that played into it was the idea of quote unquote foreigners that you can't trust. President McKinley was being guarded. He had protection and he was shot by Leon Zolzgiz. Zolzgos? I don't know. It's spelled CZ. Nose goes. Leon nose goes. Um, <laughs> it might be Solga. I don't know. It's C-Z-O-L-G-O-S-Z. Uh-huh. It's, it's a weird one. We'll just so, call him name. <laughs> we'll just call him Leon. Yeah, that's that's safe. Um, but he actually wasn't a foreigner. He was American born. He was 28 years old and he worked in a factory. Here's how this went down. So in 1901, the president was holding a reception for the public in Buffalo, New York. Long lines of people that passed between two rows of policemen and soldiers so they could walk up to the president, meet him, and shake his hand. And then right next to the president were four Buffalo police detectives, four soldiers, and three Secret Service agents. And two of the Secret Service men were facing the president at a distance of about three feet away from him. So typically they would stand right next to him, but President McKinley was like, no, I don't want you right next to me for all of these, all of this meet and greet. Why do we let these men make these decisions? I don't know. It's, it was a bad decision because guess what? Here comes Leon walking up. Uh, he gets in line. He puts his pistol under a handkerchief, lifts it up and shoots the president twice to the handkerchief and kills the president. Over the course of 36 years in American history, we now have three presidents murdered. Lovely. Just by people who walked up and did it. Easily. (laughs) Yeah, in two times, zero protection. This time there was protection, but not good protection. And in 1902... The Secret Service, this is when they finally become responsible full-time for the safety of the president. Because, and I think this is why, because they were the only federal investigative agency of any kind at the time. So they were the one that made the most sense that was already formed and ready to go. And they were put in charge of protecting the president. So now we have them running down some counterfeiters and protecting the president of the United States. Mm. So that's their role in 1902. Okay. And then I just wanted to point out, going back to the point I made a second ago about Leon having a foreign sounding name. So that's one point. I asked myself, why did it take three assassinations for people to finally decide to protect the president? So one is that there was a general hostility 
towards centralized power. People did not want a large federal government at the time. And they saw that a national police force like the Secret Service would be doing just that. And then two, we have Leon, who one sounds like he's from a different country, even though he's American. And it's really kind of the beginning of the United States being concerned about threats outside of the United States from quote unquote dangerous foreigners, which mm. is something we still. So our friend Theodore Roosevelt, who we talked about on the last episode a little bit, hey. was the f- first president to have the full protection of the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. And in a letter to Senator Henry Cabot Lodge in 1906, he said, the Secret Service men are a very small but very necessary thorn in the flesh. So essentially he's saying, okay, yeah, it sucks that you've got these people following your every move, but it's starting to become necessary. Well, at least they're done being dumb. Yeah, we have protection now. So mm-hmm. they're still in the Department of Treasury, which is weird. Well, because they're also hunting down that counterfeit on their off time. Uh-huh. Someone's got to do it. Now, in 1908, the FBI is founded. And previously, the Secret Service's mandate was to include some crimes I mentioned before, like the bootlegging, mail theft, smuggling, fraud, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So that actually gets shifted over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But crimes against the financial or banking sector still, and actually today still, remain within the purview of the Secret Service. So Secret Service kept all those financial crimes that they were initially set up to deal with, and everything else got shifted to the FBI. So now we've got Secret Service who protect the president and protect our money as a nation does it make yeah. sense no but here we are mm-hmm. and so just over the next hundred years or so we keep seeing the secret service expand like i mentioned 1902 we see full-time protection for the president and then in 1908 following the election of President Taft, the Secret Service began providing protection for the president-elect as well. So the president who was coming into office after the former president left. Gotcha. So they, they started receiving protection. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So for a long time, they're like, we don't want it. And then we're going to get to the point by the end of this where it's like they're everywhere. And then we've got World War One which caused, of course, makes sense, more concern for the safety of the president. And this is interesting because for the first time, a president is traveling abroad. So this creates a whole new security issue and question, how do we protect the president when he's over in Europe? At that point in time, in 1917, Congress decided to authorize protection as well for the president's immediate family by the Secret Service. So now we've got the sitting president, the incoming president, and the president's family are all protected. And this is also when it becomes a crime to threaten the president, which is interesting, but they they finally made it a crime in 1917. That took so long. It did. In 1922, I mentioned there was the White House Police Force and the Secret Service. The White House Police Force now gets merged under the Secret Service. They still only work at the White House, but they're supervised by the Secret Service now. So now we're going to jump far ahead to 1950, where Private Leslie Caulfield, who was a White House police officer, he was shot and killed by two Puerto Rican nationalists 
while protecting President Truman on November 1st. So triggered by this attack on Truman, Congress decided to permanently authorize the Secret Service to protect the president, his family, the incoming president, and then now we're going to add the vice president. Oh, okay. So they expanded even more in 1950. And then, hold on, that doesn't make sense. Oh, yeah, it does. This is what I get for not handwriting my notes. I'm getting lost in them. I typed them this time. <laughs> All right. So jumping ahead to 1962, Congress decided to expand coverage to include the vice president without requiring his request for protection. And I also the vice. He had to, rec- the vice president had to request. Yes. Them. yes. Okay. I see. And it also extended coverage to the vice president-elect, so incoming vice presidents as well, similar to the incoming presidents. The former president now also gets protection for a reasonable period of time, so about six months after they leave office. So this is all in 1962. And then 1963, we have another big American event that everyone knows, remembers, and that's the assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas, Texas. So now we saw it become a crime to threaten the president in 1917 and 1965. It's a federal crime to attempt to assassinate a president, which Mm -hmm. makes sense. That should definitely be a federal crime. Yeah. And Congress now authorizes the Secret Service to protect a former president and his wife during their lifetime. And also, and this is for Jackie Kennedy and her children specifically, they make this to protect the widow of a president and the children who are minors of the president after they die in office. So now you're getting essentially the whole family is protected for life. Oh, so it doesn't matter once they turn 18. Yeah, they can decide they're protected until 16 years of age, but they can decline that that protection if they don't want it. But the wife gets protected for the rest of her life. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And then in 1968, the poor Kennedys, Senator Robert F. Kennedy is assassinated. So Congress now authorizes protection of the major presidential and vice presidential candidates and nominees. Yeah, the Kennedys, it's a Kennedy curse, man. Yeah. And at this point, everyone in America just has a Secret Service bodyguard at their house because everybody's getting guarded. It's like Oprah's out there throwing Secret Service guards at everybody. Or like, what's the law that says you have to have like militiamen in your house, but this time it's like Secret Service men? Oh, which, is that like the Fourth Amendment or something? Third or Fourth Amendment? It's one of the amendments. Yeah. They just updated it to say Secret Service instead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yep. We all are going to soon be living with one Secret Service agent in our house. It's like a pet. Like, oh, you have to feed him and take care. Like, look how cute my Secret Service man is. Isn't he so cute? He's so well-behaved, potty-trained, everything. Sit, John. Sit. (laughs) So then in the 1970s, we get a whole other round of protection added for heads of foreign state or government. And then protection for the family of the vice president and protection for the spouse of presidential or vice presidential candidates. 
So again, everyone's getting protected now. And then between the 80s and 2000s, they add a bunch of weird new treasury responsibilities to the Secret Service. Like they have time for that. Yeah, exactly. So now they're like covering identity theft, telemarketing fraud, fake financial institutions posing as government, counterfeiting abroad, etc. Oh my God, give it to the FBI and CIA and call it a day. Yeah, exactly. They just threw a bunch of stuff in their lap, which I feel like is most of my prior jobs. I am the Secret Service. Same. And then after 9-11, finally we have a department come into creation that might be a better home for the Secret Service. And that's the Department of Homeland Security. Ooh. It's founded in 2002. And then in 2003, the Secret Service was transferred from the Treasury to Homeland Security, which makes so much more sense. But are they still doing the the bank stuff so what's the purpose of that then that's the confusing part because yes they are still doing that actually in 2008 alone the secret service between 2003 and 2008 made almost 30,000 criminal arrests for counterfeiting and financial crimes 98 percent of them resulting in convictions so they're still they're still out there watching the crime i hate the government it's very (laughs) weird I don't under I just don't and that's kind of one of the problems that people see today they're like why are they still doing this why are they still yeah and there's actually the secret service has come under a lot of scrutiny today because they're like how can you be so focused on security while you're out here dealing with all these financial crimes yeah and I'm sure you can't have that many secret service So, I mean, how do they split their time? And, like, why should they have to split their time if the main goal is to keep the president and stuff safe? Right. And and here's a full list now of those protected today. President, vice president, president and vice president-elect, the immediate families of all of those that I just listed, former presidents and their spouses, former president's children under the age of 16, visiting heads of foreign states or governments, distinguished foreign visitors and official United States representatives on special missions abroad, major presidential and vice presidential candidates within 120 days of general presidential elections, their spouses, and former vice presidents, their spouses, and their children under the age of 16. So the Secret Service... That that is a great question because... (laughs) Then you also have to add on all this cyber crime and financial crime that they're fighting. So just to recap, that's the Secret Service. The Secret Service was not made to protect the president. They were made to protect the integrity of our nation's economy. And they just happened to get the responsibility of protecting the president in 1902. And now they protect all these other people. <laughs>